Taking their place in a long true line of everyday Americans. Helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. Pay the bills, stay out of jail, love the neighbors and have a few good friends. Every day you were everyday Americans. I don't know if they still teach this in school, but when I was in school, we were taught the scientific method. The, the short version is pretty simple. You have a theory. You, you think this is how something works. You hypothesize of, of, about it. You create a test to see if that actually happens. You observe the results, and then you modify the hypothesis, and this becomes an iterative process. But what happens when you get to the observation stage, and rather than changing the hypothesis, you change the test? See, for years, we've been talking about climate models that have predicted the end of the world, the end of civilization, generally in about 10 to 12 years, but this has been going on for over 50 years. I'm old enough to remember when I was told that society would end in an ice age back in the 1970s. This is what happens when we become dependent on computer models, but we don't understand how they work. See, a computer model is simply a mathematical guess. This is how we believe it's going to work. And in a true scientific method, once you see that your model doesn't quite work, you adjust your assumptions, you tweak the model to more accurately reflect reality, and then you go on. But when you modify the model to keep giving you scarier and scarier results, well, then you're not dealing with science, you're dealing with propaganda. Hello there, Everyday Americans. My name is Paul Engel. You've joined the Constitution Study, and I'm glad to have with me today Dr. Jay Lair. He is a senior policy analyst with the International Climate Science Coalition. He's also a former science director at the Heartland Institute. Jay, thank you for joining me today. Paul, it is a delight to join you, and your introduction was so precise. I will copy down every single word you said when I hear the program, uh, and I will use it in an article that I wrote because there is so much confusion over what a model is, what it does, that your choice of words in a few sentences uh, absolutely uh, nails it. And I'm so pleased uh, to be able to add more information to your listening audience. Wonderful. I guess 30 years in the IT industry did prove useful after all. So, Jay, you wrote an article on America Out Loud called A Climate Climate Emergency Driven by Fraudulent Computer Models and Deep Pockets. Um, Can you give us uh, an overview of what this article covers? Well, I'll start at the end with the deep pockets, and the deep pockets are the uh, U.S. government. Uh, There are no private institutions funding uh, these models or around the world, uh, only governments are doing it because they are governments uh, run by left-leaning people that would like more government control, less personal freedom, and in fact, in fact uh, socialism uh, in general. So that's where the money is coming. Uh, a, a model is essentially some mathematical equation that tries to capture all the elements of nature 
that allow nature to make things work uh, the way they do. And when it became recognized that the financing of models that would predict uh, the end of life as we know it, uh, there became a huge opportunity to change government from uh, democratic republics into uh, socialist, if not communist regimes. And so the powers that be provided huge amounts of money to uh, academic institutions uh, to generate a mathematical equation that would predict uh, negative things going on. Now, nature is so complicated. A very prominent climate scientist by the name of Willie Soon one day ran some model calculations to show that if you actually were able to list all of the variables that nature utilizes in determining what the climate will be a year from now, 10 years from now, a century from now, there was not a, a single supercomputer in our nation that could run the calculation. And if there were, it would take 40 years to get an answer because of all these variables. Well, that can't be done. So the groups that are financed to create these mathematical equations to simulate what nature is doing, they just create equations and put in variables that will get the result they want. Uh, they are absolutely worthless. There have been over a hundred models in the United States alone that have been supported by the federal government. None of them agree with each other. None of them have been able to work backwards and tell us what we know, which was the climate 10 years ago. None have been able to predict the future, and they've been around for decades. So we know that they didn't work five years or 10 years or 15 years out, and they, they keep changing them so that the, the equation will agree with reality. And they use an interesting word. They use a word called tuning. Uh, tuning in climate model vernacular means changing the variables so that your answer is more suitable. Uh, it's basically a synonym for, for cheating. And as you pointed out in your introduction, the scientific method is to come up with an idea of how you think things are, and then you go out and test it with physical observations. And that is not done at all. The models, some scientists are willing to admit the models have problems. Well, that's a joke. The models are all worthless. The problem is that they have no value at all. Now, in the operation of models, there is a value scientifically. You create a model so you can test it and see if you're on the right track. Well, none of the models that we've paid for so far are on the right track, but we keep pouring literally billions of dollars into them. You know, it, it's the old Moneyball question. If these models are so good, why, do they, why are they wrong all the time? But here's an interesting thing. If you think about it, the, the mathematical equations, the processes these models run in order to come with an output, there's another term for them. In computer 
genre, in the computer world. We call it an algorithm. And we know through recent history with social media how algorithms are used to manipulate the person consuming the output. Well, that's pretty much what we're talking about with the current computer models. They are not there predicting the future. They're being used to manipulate the people by giving them data that points them a certain direction. Once again, Paul, you're, you're, you've nailed it in the fewest possible words. And unfortunately, the real biggest problem in America is our government education system. We've basically lost a generation coming through the school system the last 20 years where they have not been uh, taught well. They've actually been taught falsehoods. And the thing that has suffered the worst is science. The average American coming through our school system today is totally ignorant of the scientific method. They cannot really understand that appears to be anything that's a little complex and therefore they have a tendency to just accept what the media tells them over and over and over and over again. And when you are told lies, and the lie, the biggest lie is that the burning of fossil fuels creating emissions of carbon dioxide uh, is a, has a negative impact on the world, which is upside down of reality. Carbon dioxide is why we live on this planet. It allows plants to grow and humans and animals uh, to eat them. And since World War II, when we started using more and more fossil fuels as our lifestyle improved, the earth has greened significantly. Today, about 25% more of our planet is green than it was 75 years ago. Everything about carbon dioxide is positive. And if we could double carbon dioxide, it would be wonderful. There is no negative downside. I had the honor of serving a short time on a, a nuclear submarine, and the average carbon dioxide content on the submarine that would stay underwater for literally months at a time was 5,000 parts per million. So we know, and no one ever got ill. There is no known upside of carbon dioxide that has a negative impact on human health or on our climate at all. You know, it's it's almost like our founding fathers had a good idea when they said that the federal government, the United States, should not be involved in education or in science. You, you, talk, you talked about how the funding process, and I agree, the funding process is outcome-focused. You know, this is the outcome we want. We'll give you money if you keep giving us the outcome we want. You know, people think that the federal government is supposed to be giving grants. It's not. Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution says Congress has the uh, power to promote the progress of science and useful arts by securing for limited times to authors and inventors the exclusive rights to their respective writing and discoveries. Not to give them money, not to offer grants and programs, but to say, hey, if you invent something, if you discover something, if you create something, you get exclusive rights to it for a period of time as the reward for having done so. But what we have is, is the government manipulating the outcome because, well, this is these are the, the, the programs we'll, we'll fund. These are the ones we'll give grants to. Um, 
I've dealt with many, many universities, and I've seen how uh, you know they'll base their programs on what will get them grants. Well, you have once again uh, quoted chapter and verse for me uh, that I can use in the future, pointing out that the Constitution had science right. Sadly, the turn occurred when President Eisenhower realized that the federal government did a phenomenal job in creating the atomic bomb, which ended World War II. And he was then talked into by his then science director, fellow by the name of Vannevar Bush. He was talked into the idea that the federal government should fund more and more research. And so it happened toward the end of uh, President Eisenhower, who was one of our greatest presidents, but he was wrongheaded in uh, giving the direction to his science director, Vannevar Bush, to empower more agencies of the federal government to hold the purse strings of uh, science. And from that point on in the late 50s, things have gone uh, downhill and uh, match uh, exactly the way you have uh, described it, Paul. So I've got a few minutes left, but I want to ask you, since we've identified these two major problems, the, the models are wrong, but we keep following them, and the money is corrupting the science, what can we do? Well, we can begin by having people with more courage to uh, speak the truth with regard to uh, man-caused climate change, the biggest fraud ever perpetrated on society, something that I write about uh, every week of my life in a number of, uh, of locations. And I think when the uh, Republicans take over the House in a big way uh, next November, probably by a 40 to 60 vote majority, the House holds the purse strings and the House will have an opportunity of ending uh, the financing of so much invaluable, useless uh, research that the federal government funds. So I'm quite optimistic that slowly, with a major Republican majority starting next January, uh, we'll be on the road back. But it certainly will take a decade before we can really echo the words that you quoted from the Constitution as to how science should be managed. You know, I have to admit, I'm not nearly as optimistic as you are. I, I remember the words of Alexis de Tocqueville that uh, America will exist until Congress figures out it can bribe the American people with their own money. And this is basically what we're seeing here. Personally, I would love to see, I agree, I would love to see the federal government out of funding scientific research, uh, except, again, maybe in the military, uh, you know, but as a general rule, I'd like to see them. I'd also like to see organizations that did true double-blind funding of research. If you want to research something, the, the, the person doing the research should have no clue of the person or the agenda providing the money if we want to have science. You know, we, talk, we spent two years talking about following the science. Well, then let's follow the scientific process. Um, Jay, it's been wonderful talking. Before we go, please let my listeners know where they can find out more about you and more of the stuff you're writing about. Well, I write three essays a week 
at two different websites. I write weekly on science at cfact.org, all 100% science. And I began a three-part series this very week on the fact, on the scandal that published research cannot be repeated. It's not reproducible. Uh, They don't want it to be reproducible because it is not uh, valid. I write two essays a week at America Out Loud, one co-authored with uh, Tom Harris of the International Climate Science Coalition, and one that I either write myself or with other co-authors. I'm really very fortunate to have so many people following my writings that I get new ideas to set the public straight literally every week from friends who I end up uh, co-authoring. So uh, cfact.org, every single uh, week, a new, fresh look at science and America Out Loud, uh, two different uh, essays. And uh, I think your listeners would be well served by uh, going to both of those locations, America outloud.com, cfact.org. Jay, thank you very much for your time. Ladies and gentlemen, check out what Jay is writing. I brought him on because I found his article very cogent and, and very apropos to the times we have. Jay, have a great day. Thank you, Paul. Now, again, I have to jump off to a break, but before I do, I want to remind you to head to healthycell.com. You know, if you have a hard time falling asleep or staying asleep, try their REM sleep supplement. It is a pill-free gel, easy to travel with, easy to use. It helps you fall asleep, stay asleep. It's designed to support all four stages of sleep. And as an America Out Loud listener, they'll give you 20% off if you use the code out loud at checkout. So again, go to HealthyCell.com, try any of their products. Just make sure you use that code out loud at checkout for 20% off your first order. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races. You toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM Sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. spirit of American liberty and justice is woven into the soul of America out loud. Now we invite you friends to invest some of your time with our magnificent family of experts, their minds and voices. It's all back at AmericaOutloud.com. Liberty and justice for all. You've been in that situation. The person next to you is sniffling or worse yet, coughing. Flu, cold, and coronaviruses are everywhere. Wouldn't it be great if you had a way to reduce these threats with an invisible mask as an additional layer of protection? 
Sold by hundreds of pharmacists and medical doctors, our American-made povidone iodine antiviral nasal spray, Cofix RX, lasts for hours deactivating viruses and germs while protecting you from airborne pathogens that make us sick. America Out Loud listeners get 20% off. Use Cofix RX while in large groups, while traveling, or for any other type of high-risk situation as an additional layer of protection to help reduce your likelihood of catching a cold, the flu, or SARS-CoV-2 viruses. Right now, America Out Loud listeners get 20% off of all orders. Click our banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You've rejoined the Constitution Study. I hope you enjoyed our first segment with Jay Lair. Uh, very interesting discussion about uh, the, the climate hoax, the, the abuse, the, the manipulation, the corruption of climate science, uh, how that's been used in, uh, to manipulate people, how that's been used to as a political tool rather than a scientific tool. Um, I, I enjoyed that. I've talked with, uh, with Jay before, and uh, he brings a lot of those scientific facts to bear. But one of the things he pointed out is how federal money, government money is used to manipulate the science. And, and sadly, it's not, simply, it's not simply the science that gets manipulated. Well, for example, in 2011, the Crescent Dunes Solar Energy Plant was created when the federal government lent the company $737 million. I said the federal government, not the federal bank. See, the, the, it's the United States of America. It's not the United Bank of America. The, the federal government isn't supposed to be making loans. That's not one of the powers delegated to the United States, but they did. And they did so because, well, we want to promote solar energy. Now, think about this for a minute. The science behind solar energy has some serious issues. Now, I don't have a problem, per se, with solar energy. In fact, I'd love to put solar panels on my house, but there's a problem. Um, they're getting cheaper, but they're still too expensive. The, the cost recovery of actually installing these solar panels is, is not insignificant. It takes a while to, to recoup the cost, the, the uh, return on investment, the ROI. Um, they have very spe specific needs. Now, where I live... I have a pretty good view of the sun overall. In other words, I don't have a lot of trees blocking the house, and I probably would work pretty well, except what well, my main my main roof line faces east and west, not south. Meaning the solar panels would be less efficient. Even if I put them on both sides of the roof and angled them to catch more of the sun, they'd be less efficient because, well, each side's only getting sun about half the day. Which brings you to the next problem, right? You've got uh, little things like clouds and storms. Now, where I live in Middle Tennessee, we get sun a good chunk of the day, but it's not always sunny. Now, granted, that is better in Nevada, where the, the Crescent Dune Solar Energy Plant was created. So they, it is a better location for solar. But even then, why couldn't the Crescent Dune Solar Energy Plant receive private funding? If it was such a good idea... Why did private investors not invest? Now, to me, there's a couple of possibilities. One is, well, private investors were squeezed out by the federal government. In other words, where a private inve investor might have wanted 
oh, I don't know, a portion of the uh, of the company or might have wanted uh, a certain return on their investment, they were squeezed out because the federal government said, well, here, we're going to lend you money. Um, and, uh, well, who knows? If you don't pay it back, you, come on. Now, the other reason is the Crescent Dunes solar energy plant wasn't as viable as they as the federal government was led to believe. In other words, the, the point at which this plant would make money would be able to pay off this loan, and I use scare quotes when I say loan, was dubious at best. I don't know. I haven't gone into it. But here's what I do know. There were years of, dis- there, there are reports of years of delays, mismanagement, and now the company has gone bankrupt. Meaning the $737 million that you pay to the federal government, that the federal government put in this bad loan to the Crescent Dune Solar Energy Plant is probably lost. It's gone. Now, what was the purpose of this solar dunes, of the Crescent Dune Solar Energy Plant? Well, it's to generate power for 43,000 homes in Nevada. Now, some may say, well, see, Paul, it was, it was for the general welfare. That's why Congress did it, except, again, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 1. Yes, Congress can collect taxes for the uh, uh, for the pay the debts of the United States, uh, to provide for the defense of the United States, and for the general welfare of the United States, not of the individual states, not not of, not of Nevada. In other words, Congress had no legal authority to spend this money because it was not a power delegated to the United States. It was a political play. It was meant to promote solar. See, solar is great and wonderful. At the same time, it was probably either squeezing out investors or inhibiting research into other possible solutions to the to to our energy needs. In, in other words, there are many ways you could get power from solar. There's many ways you get power from wind. There's many ways you can get power, but we've limited our investment, our science, because the federal government keeps pushing them a certain way with money. The same way the federal government has manipulated the climate science to scare people to death. If you want a good book, it, it, it's a Michael Crichton uh, wrote a book called The State of Fear. I believe that's the name of it. Um, it's very, it's a fictional book that uses actual footnotes. So the story is fictional, but the science and the politics behind it is very much real. And it it shows how this has been meant to scare people, to manipulate them, because if scared people are more easily manipulated. Now, here's another example of just how fraudulent the, the climate science is. Now, if you were to believe certain politicians... The, the world is going to end in a few years if we don't get rid of fossil fuels and move completely to wind and solar. Every year on Earth Day, there are speeches galore about how we have to have wind and solar. Wind and solar. Now, in order for wind to work, well, you have to have a regular source of wind. When I drive through like South Dakota and North Dakota, I see these huge wind farms, windmills, wind-powered, wind rotors, whatever, because there's wind there a lot. Well, you know where there's a lot of wind? Right off the shore. See, there's an interesting scientific phenomenon that the sun heats the earth, but it heats the 
ground faster than it heats the water because of the properties of, of earth and water, which means every day you have a twice-a-day cycling of the relative temperatures in a relatively small area. This causes wind. So where would be a better place to put wind turbines than, well, offshore where this wind is happening, where it's relatively predictable to have wind most of the day in one of two directions so you could use it. That would make sense, wouldn't it? Well, you see, unless you happen to live off of, of Martha's Vineyard. See, then you have people like Barack Obama and Senator Kerry. Now, here's the interesting thing. Um, uh, Barack Obama, I, I haven't seen as much public objection, but John Kerry has been pushing hard to prevent a wind farm in Nantucket Sound. Or I should say, off the coast of, of Nantucket. Um, if you want wind energy, wouldn't that be the perfect place to have it? They want to put turbines offshore to harness the wind to create energy that uh, I'm sure both Barack Obama and, and John Kerry are using. But you see, they don't want it's NIMBY. It's not in my backyard. They want someone else to have to look at the, at the wind turbines. They don't want to have to deal with the wind turbines. And while we're thinking about that, isn't it interesting that two people who have been hyping the climate hysteria that, you know, sea levels are going to rise on property right on the water. In fact, Barack Obama only recently purchased a $12 million home in an area he's telling us is going to be underwater in a few years. Now, you I don't know about you. I don't think the man is stupid. If he thought that his property would be destroyed in 10, 20 years, I don't think he would have spent $12 million on it unless he put his unless he put the building on stilts. No, somehow I think the answer is much more sinister. The promotion of green energy, of climate of the climate scare is to manipulate people to do what he wants. Give over control of your land, your power, your future to the hands of government. Because if he really believed that sea levels were going to rise, he wouldn't have put it, he wouldn't have bought a house on the water. And if John Kerry, who's lived, by the way, who's had a, a, uh, a property in Nantucket and Cape Cod for years, if he really thought it was going to be the end of the world, he'd have moved. And if they really thought that wind was one was a viable solution, why are they preventing it from happening? Why are they doing everything they can to prevent this, to, to object and, and delay these wind turbines right in their backyard, where they would be the most used to them? I can't read their minds, but I can read their actions, and their actions tell an awful lot. Now, what is this fake climate science? What is this hysteria about global warming and climate change and, and rising tides and, and all that? What has that led to? We've already observed that the models that have told us we'd all be dead decades ago were wrong, and they've never been right. Actually, I take that back. I believe there was one that was right 
it accidentally actually predicted pretty much what we have, which is a, a tiny increase in temperature and not real much of a difference in the, uh, in the, in the height of the oceans. But you see, there are issues, there, there are costs, there are consequences of forcing people away from a cheap, plentiful energy source towards an expensive, not as plentiful, not as reliable energy source. Uh, those potentials are blackouts and brownouts, energy shortages. You see, power grid operators are warning from across the country that as they're being forced to transition from fossil fuels to other energy sources, they're having a hard time keeping up with demand. That means some part of the of the country could see blackouts this summer. According to the chief executive of the Mid-Continent Independent System Operator, the gentleman by the name of John Baer, he told the Wall Street Journal that he's concerned about it. He says, as we move forward, we need to know when you put a solar panel or a wind turbine up, it's not the same as a thermal source. You see, when you burn fossil fuels, or even when you use nuclear energy, it doesn't care what the weather is outside. It doesn't care if it's windy or cloudy or sunny or rainy. It doesn't care. It consumes fuel. It creates heat. That heat is used generally to make steam, which turns a turbine, which creates electricity. It's not rocket science. But the problems we run into is when you have sources like wind and solar, if they're not backed up by fossil fuels or nuclear, when they are not able to deliver peak power, if you don't have something to back them up, you don't have enough power. You get a blackout, you get a brownout. And those are very much the situations they're talking about. According to, to MISO, the, the was it Mid-Continent Independent Systems Operator, they're looking at their seasonal assignments, their, their, their power adjustments, and they say they could have capacity shortfalls through both the North and Central regions through 2022 and 2023. Which means when you um, turn on your air conditioner, it doesn't work. When, when you turn on a heat, your heat in the winter, it may not work. And if you're one of the millions of people that are now working from home, when you go to turn on your computer, well, unless it's a laptop with a battery, it's not going to work. See, there are consequences for these decisions. Like a magician, they like to show you only the good side of wind and solar, and they never pay attention to the bad side. And you see government manipulating the system, manipulating the science to allow them to decide. See, th these systems operators, they're not putting on wind and solar simply because, well, there's a demand for it. The, the people are telling us, we don't want fossil fuels, we want this. It's being done because government mandates, government edicts. Now, anybody want to remember what happened in Texas not that long ago? I mean, yeah, it was, what, a year and a half, but do you remember how, actually, it wasn't quite a year and a half, it was just over a year and a quarter ago. Now, whether you believe the problem was the dependence on wind turbines or the fact that the, maybe the wind turbines weren't, weren't uh, properly winterized, when they failed, Texas went dark. Large parts of Texas went dark. And without sufficient thermal uh, capacity, 
There was nothing to back them up, to bring them back online. You know, we, we look at, if you look at a picture of the Earth um, from orbit at night, there's an interesting in, uh, phenomenon. Look at the Korean Peninsula. The southern half of the Korean Peninsula is lit up bright as a bulb. The northern part, not so much. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that, I mean, you've got the same people, the same, the same heritage. What you have are two different methods of governing. One believes in freedom and letting the people choose. The other believes in, in centralization and letting the government choose. Which one do you think is dark? That's right. It's the government-controlled part of Korea that is dark. Is that the future you want for America? Because that is most likely what will happen if we let government tell the people how to live their lives. Now, I have to take another break, but I want to remind you, you can listen to the Constitution Study weekdays, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, on America Out Loud Talk Radio, heard on the iHeartRadio Network. Listen on our Word Class media player or our apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. You can find all those links at AmericaOutloud.com. You can also listen to replays of the program on podcasts. They usually come out a day or two after the broadcast. Listen on Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeart, Podcast, basically anywhere you listen to podcasts. And do me a favor, subscribe and share the show so that others can find it as well. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day. Yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years. Brush, floss, repeat. We're told to use fluoride, which doesn't really address the acid-creating bacteria. That is where the dentist-recommended Spry Dental Defense System shines. Spry products contain xylitol, a natural sugar, which helps get rid of those nasty, smelly, acid-creating bacteria in our mouth. The best way to care for your teeth and gums is by using Spry. The Spry Dental Defense System has a wide variety of products toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and chewing gums that are designed to work together to keep your teeth clean and mouth healthy and smelling sweet all day long. To get your oral care back on track in an easy, effective, and very tasty way, switch to Spry today. Ask your dentist about Xylitol and the Spry products. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural product retailers. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You've rejoined the Constitution Study. We've been talking about, well, we'll call it climate change. I call it fraud. But as I promised, I do want to have Q&A sessions. It's funny. I went for quite a while where people weren't asking questions. And then I finally got a bunch of questions. And there's been so much going on. I haven't been able to get to them. But I finally decided, let's take some time. I owe you answers to these questions. So let's take a look at the question, what's in the bag. Uh, the first question comes from a gentleman named Andy. He says, hi there. I was curious if federal minimum wage was legal. As for the states, is that dependent on their state constitution? 
Well, let's start with the state first. Uh, generally, I would say yes. Whether or not a minimum wage, the government has the authority to um, uh, to tell employers what they must pay for services. It, it would generally have to look at the constitution of the state, but there's an overall problem. If uh, one one thing is, I don't think it's in most of our state constitutions that gives the government, the federal, the state government, the authority to establish the rate of pay for work. Um, but there's another problem, which we have to go back to the first question is, is a federal minimum wage legal? All right. So we've got two issues, um, federal minimum wage and uh, uh, or minimum wage in general. So let's talk about a minimum wage in general. What is a minimum wage? Well, it is the government, it is a government entity, either state or federal, telling a business owner what they must pay for a, for a given service. In other words, um, you're, you want to hire somebody. I don't care. Uh, a wait staff, uh, a laborer, uh, a machinist, uh, uh, I don't know, a help desk person. The government telling you the value of that work that's being done. Now, uh, for years, when I was younger, uh, when my daughter was uh, you know, a child, you know, when she was, you know, a teenager, uh, I had also had a friend who had a teenage boy and would often, the kids would work for each other, right? I'd, I'd have his boys come over and do some yard work, or he'd have my daughter come over and babysit. Uh, and of course, the question always came up of, well, what will we pay them? And my answer always was pretty much the same. What value do you put on, in, in the case of my daughter, her time, the work that she do? What value do you place on that? If that's agreeable to you and to my daughter, and I don't think you're taking advantage of her, that's the price. Minimum wage gets in the way of that. Take, for example, um, and we'll use the, the proverbial burger flipper, right? Someone whose basic job is to stand in front of a grill, put hamburgers on it, flip it over, and then put it into a rack somewhere. How much money does that job create for the business owner? What is the value to the business owner of that job? Now, let's say, for sake of argument, that the value of that job is, say, $5 an hour. In other words, in an hour of burger flipping, his part that, that person's participation in the total income for the business is roughly about $5 for that entire hour. Of course, you got, in other words, the burger's Sure, he's selling more than five dollars worth of burgers, but there's more to it than just cooking and flipping the burgers. So we use that number. So the federal government comes in and says, "No, you must pay that person fifteen dollars an hour." Now, you're talking about price fixing. In other words, the government is telling you the price you must pay for labor. Now, what does that have to do with the Constitution? Well, the Fifth Amendment says that you cannot be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. If you are a business owner, you have a property in that business. You also have a property in the jobs that you create. In other words, the person who owns the restaurant created a job of burger flipper. He has a property in that job. When the government comes in and tells him, how he must do that, what he must pay for that service, he is denying the business owner both the liberty to negotiate for labor and the property they have 
in their business without due process of law. In other words, they're not showing that the the owner has denied a right to the employee. You see, you don't have a right to a specific job. You don't have a right to a certain level of pay. That's supposed to be negotiated. So when the federal government comes in or the state government comes in and it tells you, listen, you must do this, they're depriving you of a right protected by the Constitution without due process of law. They're denying you of liberty and property without due process of law. So you are correct. It is unconstitutional. And not only is it unconstitutional, but you're right. It's it's illegal because it violates uh, Title 18 United States Code Section 242. And even if a state were to put into their constitution the power of the state government to set a minimum wage, I would argue that that violates the 14th Amendment because that is a law to deprive you of liberty or the business owner of liberty or property without due process of law. Okay, so that was the first question. Second comes from Gina. Uh, She says, I keep on hearing these talks about free speech. What is free speech and are there abuses of free speech? That's a good question. Um, Gina, the, the answer is fairly simple. Freedom, similar to the term liberty, is your ability to do something. So freedom of speech is your ability to speak as you see fit. But like any other freedom, there's a responsibility with it. So, for example, the the classic example is yelling uh, fire in a crowded theater. And I want to get to that in a minute. Let's stop and think about this for a second. We know there are laws against perjury. In other words, you are not allowed to go into a courtroom go under oath to or or out their affirmation to to pr- tell the truth and then lie and simply claim well no you see that was freedom of speech in other words if you are a witness and you say um yes i saw this man do this thing and then it's found out that you didn't that you lied you can't say well you can't do anything to me because of freedom of speech why what is the difference why does that prevent you uh, what is the, the, the constitutional basis? Well, by lying in court while under oath, you have deprived the accused of a fair trial. You've deprived them of a right. And that is the limitation that we want to focus on. Like any freedom, when you use it to deny someone a legitimate right, that is an illegitimate use of your right. The same holds true for things like libel and slander. Yes, you have the right to freedom of speech and freedom of the press, but if you use that right to deny someone a right, a legitimate right, which, let me define that for a second, uh, based on my research, uh, for a right to, for you to legitimately exercise a right, it cannot infringe on the legitimate right of another. For a right to be legitimate, you must be able to exercise it without infringing on the rights of another. That's not the question you asked, but I want to set that context. So when you you lie under oath, when you slander, when you defame, you are denying someone else of a right protect of a right, specifically ones protected by the Constitution of the United States. That is the limit on freedom of speech. Put it this way: uh, Benjamin Franklin, writing in Silence Do Good in 1722, said, "Without freedom of thought, there can be no such thing as wisdom." And no such thing as public liberty without freedom of speech, 
which is the right of every man as far as by it he does not hurt or control the right of another. And this is the only check it ought to suffer and the only bounds it ought to know. So, yes, freedom of speech is your ability to speak. Now, the courts have kind of expanded that into any form of expression, but the general understanding is it's your freedom to speak, is to to communicate vocally and to do so without government interference as long as you are not harming or denying someone, controlling someone else's right. That's why uh, people who um, disrupt uh, events, you know, you, you bring in someone to speak to a group, a group of people come in and disrupt them. They claim they have freedom of speech, except they're using their freedom of speech to deny someone else their freedom of speech. Now, let me answer the question, go back to the question of fire in a crowded theater. Uh, that comes from a Supreme Court case, a misread of a Supreme Court case. Um, I think it's Schneck versus United States. I don't remember the name. But it was a question of uh, this gentleman was advising people to dodge the draft. And he was charged with a crime. And he said, wait a second, freedom of speech. I can say what I want. The court said, you know, um, you know like anything else, Freedom of speech doesn't absolve you from the consequences of your speech. The same way is if you were to falsely yell fire in a crowded theater, you could not use freedom of speech as a defense. So we have to understand it's not, you know, when we're talking freedom of speech, it's mostly can you be held liable for what you say? That's kind of the, 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 the breaking point. The court said, you know, listen, if there is a fire and you yell fire, there's no problem. If you falsely yell fire, that is the point where you cannot simply claim freedom of speech to avoid the consequences of that. Um, you've denied the the business owner of the right to use their property, the organizer of their right to peaceably assemble, the people for their the, the speaker for his right to freedom of speech, and um, the uh, the people who attended their right to peaceably assemble. You've denied them rights. So when someone claims yelling fire in a crowded theater is not allowed by the Constitution. That's not true. There, there's a lot of caveats around that. Uh, another question. This question wasn't specifically asked to be on the radio, but I want to bring it up because it's something I think we deal with an awful lot. Um, uh, this comes from a gentleman by the name of Jim. Uh, he says he's a member of, and I'm not going to mention the organization for, for a reason, uh, since COVID-19, our local chapter, which is one of a small number of franchises that are not controlled by the mother company, has issued restrictions that hamper our inclusion at meetings. I and, our, and others in our group have opted out of attending monthly uh, meetings that are required to continue our life, long, our life membership status. Uh, let me skip it. Was gonna, uh, he wanted to know... Um, what were the requirements? In other words, the company, the, the parent company, uh, and actually, actually, I wasn't sure if it was a parent company or the franchise, had implemented some ridiculous COVID uh, uh, rules. And the question really was, what can he do? And it was dealing specifically with, with mass mandates and vaccine mandates and what can he do? And I gave this person a, a, a detailed response, but here's the short thing I want to understand. Um this company is a private company. It is owned by people and organizations who own shares of the company. It is therefore has private property. You do not have a right to do business with a specific vendor. 
I want to say that again. You do not have a right to do business with a specific vendor. Just like anywhere else, the person, the, the private property owner, that includes not only physical property like land and buildings, but the owner of the business, they have a property in their business, has the right to determine the conditions under which someone it, someone participates. I told him the best thing that he could do, if memory serves, was to uh, find out, is this a national mandate or is this a franchise mandate? And then follow up. If it's a franchise mandate, contact the owner and say, why are you doing this? It makes no sense. You're driving people away uh, and you are preventing me from maintaining my lifetime membership status because of this rule. Um, I told them to contact the parent company and ask them, is it their policy to put such onerous restrictions on attending meetings when there is no medical or benefit for it? And, you know, find stats and data and, stu- and, and, and stuff like that. But I also point out something else. I said, listen, you've learned from this. There's nothing that prevents you and the other people who are being denied access to these meetings from starting your own group. Do what you would do at those meetings among your own group. And then maybe see if the parent company would recognize that to maintain their life membership. If not, what's more important to you? Mass and vaccines or your lifetime membership in this private com- with, it, with this private entity. And I think that's something we, we as Americans forget. We don't have a right to do business with a certain entity. Um, we have to decide what's of more value to us, our, our masks and, and vaccines, or um, shopping or doing business with a specific entity. Now, this last question comes from Fred, and there's some details in here that I, I don't feel comfortable sharing, even though he did say to answer on the radio. Um, but this is a person who has been arrested multiple times, and all apparently he was able to get the cases dropped. Uh, now, I don't know the details. Uh, he just says that he's been arrested multiple times, and each time the cases were dropped. Um, what's interesting, he says he can't get the courts to uphold the law or even respond to documents I filed. Um, he's asking for help. Now, my response to him probably wasn't exactly what he was looking for. I said, the first thing uh, is that I am not a lawyer. I don't pretend to be a lawyer. I don't claim to be a lawyer. Um, I've never gone to law school. Um, it sounds like he does need some legal assistance and I can't help him with that. But here's the other thing. There's no details about what's going on. All I know is that he's been arrested multiple times, the cases were dropped, and that he's trying to do something with the courts, I don't know what, but they're not responding. And those are very vague ideas. And I told him, without details, I couldn't even begin to consider advising what he might try. Now, I am more than willing to provide whatever expertise I have to good causes of people who are trying to defend their rights. But when they're very vague like that, I, I can't do that. I, you know, I need the details. I'm sure people just love to jump in and say, oh yeah, just do this and just do that. But the details matter. And the reason I brought this one up is if I had other questions that did not ask me to, to answer on the radio that are very similar, very vague, not a lot of details. And the details do matter. As I say frequently, the devil is in the details. So if you have something, and, and I, I cannot give you legal advice, but I can tell you what the Constitution says. 
And if you can give me some information, even if you just want to say, I don't, I don't feel comfortable putting it in here, but maybe we can set up a call. I'm more than willing to, to try and, and help. Just understand, I'm not a lawyer. I don't play one on TV. And all I can do is give you some general advice based on my understanding and my research from the Constitution of the United States. And with that, it's time to wrap up another episode of the Constitution Study. I am glad you could join me today. You know, I hope you like the question and answer session. And if you would like me to answer your question, go to constitutionstudy.com. There's a ask a question button in the menu. Click that, answer your question, tell me you want to answer it on the radio, and I'll do my best to do that as soon as possible. As always, you can find out more at constitutionstudy.com. Please check out the tour page, constitutionstudy.com slash tour, as I work out my 2022 tour. I hope to see you on the road so that we can work together to secure the blessings of liberty for ourselves and for our posterity. Baby, you'll stay out of jail, love the neighbors and have a few good friends. Every day.